Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Today I am going to talk to you about what it means to have a teachable spirit. And as I say that that's what I'm going to speak on today about being teachable and you can feel yourself starting to tense up. Here's your sign. Uh, this, this is probably going to be for you. This is what it says in Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. There's the S word right there, stupid. You guys are like, what S word is he talking about? <laughs> Some of y'all got real nervous. Uh, I haven't said that word in a long time in service. Uh, the other one. So uh, anytime the Bible says, hey, if this is you, you're stupid, I think it's a good time for us to self-reflect and just say, hey, if, if the Bible says these are the people that are stupid, then I want to make sure I'm not a stupid person, okay? So turn to your neighbor and just ask them, real honestly, am I stupid, okay? And some of you, like when I did the first service, every couple in here, this gets real awkward real quick. Like I feel like I generated about 18 different marriage counseling appointments when I told the, the crowd to do it in the first service. What makes me stupid? Well, Solomon says it's when you hate correction. When you hate correction, that's when you're stupid. So if you hate making adjustments, changing, if you hate just candor, if you're not teachable, the word says mm, you're the S word. So today I wanna talk about having a heart that's teachable. It's a teachable spirit. And I think a lot of this will build on a message we heard a few weeks ago about how to hear from God. We talked about the soil of our heart and how the soil of our heart will determine the seed that we're able to receive and therefore the fruit that our lives are able to produce. And really a lot of this is talking about our heart being receptive. I don't know about you, but I wanna hear from God for the rest of my life. Can I get an amen? Does anybody else wanna be able to hear from God for the rest of their life? Well, having a teachable open heart is huge. And what I would suggest is a lot of people would say, yes, I definitely want to hear from God. I just don't want to hear from God through people. I don't want to hear from God through people that would call me out. I don't want to hear from God from people who would tell me I'm wrong. Yes, God speak to me. Just me and you though. And the problem is God uses people uh, God uses people that aren't even godly people sometimes to teach us. In the Bible, God used a donkey to speak to someone. Okay, so we have to be open to a lot of different ways, including the donkeys in our life. And what we can learn from them. So I want to talk about that. How... Do you hear from God? How do you continue to hear his voice? You're gonna to have to have a teachable spirit. We're getting to the end of the school year. How many of you are excited for school to be out? Yeah, 
grandparents and kids, that is it. <laughs> teachers and the teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the parents, we're excited too. So very. But I find that when you come to the end of a school year, it starts kind of bringing the worst out of everyone. Like it brings the worst out of the kids. It brings the worst out. Of, it's like the, the teachers are just like, these kids lost their minds. Get them out of here. And, and the parents, we start dumbing down convictions. They're like A's, C's. I don't really care at this point. Like at this point, I just want them out and, you know, to go get a job. That's what I want all of them to do. Just go do something with your life. Um, I used to think growing up as a kid, and a lot of us can relate to this. It's like, man, I'm living my best life. And then somebody had to go along and invent school, right? Like, I don't know about you, but for me, most of the time growing up, it's like school is just a means to an end. I, 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 we get done with school so that we can do what really matters in life. But, uh, but a lot of you don't feel that way. So where are, where's everybody that, that kind of felt that way? It's like, I wasn't crazy about school. I just did school, but I couldn't wait for it to be over so I could get out. Okay, all right. So, you know, most sane people. Okay, how many of you, how many of you love school, though? Loves, you love school. You just love that. Well, we love you, too. We love you, too. <laughs> I hope you have friends. That's what I hope. <laughs> no, I, but here's what I would say, though. This is what's really important. So if, you, if you're a kid, you're a student in here, this is especially important for you to hear, but for all of us. You may not have liked school or you may not like school now, but you need to like learning and never stop learning. Whether that's the reading or asking questions, discovering, having discussions, being open to having ideas communicated to you that you don't agree with, that you can hear and not cancel people when you hear them. Always be willing to learn. Because the, the reality is this, and I hope this doesn't offend any of you teachers, school doesn't exist to teach you everything you need to know. Really, school exists to give you a love for learning. And you have to hold on to that. I don't care how young or how old you are, having a desire to learn and grow has to be a part of your life for the rest of your life. And that's this teachable spirit. When I'm talking about it, I'm talking about an attitude that's just open. Open to hearing from God, yes, but open to growing and learning and advancing even through what we can learn from each other. The truth is a disciple must have this spirit because disciple, the very definition of it means to learn, to be able to be taught. So if we're going to be a church and we are that has a genuine desire to be an environment and a culture and a part of the body of Christ that is focused on discipleship and making fully devoted followers of his word and of his character, if we're going to have that, we have to have an open, teachable, receptive spirit. Otherwise, we won't accomplish discipleship. But the problem is some have an unteachable spirit, an unteachable heart. And that's basically just a heart that says, can't nobody tell me nothing. I got this. I'm good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. I know a lot. I, you, I can show you some pieces of paper that'll tell you how much I know. I learned all this. Or 
You have no idea what I've been through in my life. I've experienced it all. There's really nothing that you can tell me that I'd be able to learn from, okay? Proverbs 9, 8 says this, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Why would they hate you? Because they're unteachable. That's hard ground. That's ground that's not able to receive. So how do I know if I have an unteachable spirit? Some indicators. Number one, cyclical failure. Proverbs 13, 18, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. So when I fail and fail and fail over and over and over again in different areas of my life, that is pointing to an area that you are probably unteachable. So this could be with money. Like, man, I just am always broke. I, I, I can't seem to get ahead. I've got so much debt. Uh, I've got uh, just constant issues. Uh, maybe this is an area. Relationships. Where it's just like, man, it's like I go through friends like they're going out of style. Like, it's like I, I'm constantly feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm having to find a new friend. I'm having to find a new community. I'm having to find a new church. I'm having to find a new something. This is always happening, okay? You may be the common denominator. Maybe that's an area where you're unteachable. Marriage, habits, character issues, attitude, your language, your words, those types of things. So a good question for us to ask ourselves is, is there an area of my life where I make the same mistake over and over and over again. Okay, so the truth is, we all have stuff like this in our life that really isn't as big of a deal because it's not like life-defining, character-defining type issues. But all of us have things that we don't do correctly even when we know it's the right way. Like how you put the toilet paper on the rung. You know, a lot of people, they, they've tried to, people have tried to teach them the right way to do this and they just refuse. They're just rebellious on it, okay? Clearly, it's over the top. That's the correct way to do the toilet paper. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's the most energetic response I've gotten all morning. Uh, you're passionate about this. I get it, okay? I get it, okay? How do you get the toothpaste out of the tube? Things like that, okay? Uh, how do you merge on a traffic off of an off-ramp? Some of you, you still don't know how to do that. People have tried to help you. You don't know how to do it, okay? Every year, Cody buys those plants called mums because every year she thinks this year's gonna be different. I'm not gonna kill them. Every year she kills them, okay? We, we have things like that, that we just, you know, I asked her, I said, Cody, what's something that you've tried to coach me on that I still get wrong a lot? And this is what she pointed to. Sometimes you're communicating and you're talking about a road being paved. You say paved with a TH. That's what she called me out on. <laughs> so I just wanna let you know, I will never make that mistake again. But if you're ever in conversation with me and we're just talking about hopefully an improvement being made on a road somewhere around Cabot and I'm talking about that road being paved and I say, yeah, it'll be great when that road is paved. I'm saying it like that because I am teachable. And I will adjust my mistakes Paved. If you look up the definition of paved, it's not much different, honestly. So, but I won't go there. Paved. 
But here's the truth. There are some areas of our life that are way more important than buying mums and saying paved. That when we don't get humble and we don't get teachable, they can wind up defining us. The enemy certainly wants them to. And when you fail, because we all do, you either fail forward or you will start a cycle of chronic failure. You fail forward by simply doing this. When you made a mistake, you just simply ask, what did I just learn? Or what can I learn? You will have chronic failure by blaming and making excuses. That won't help you fail forward. Another indicator, an obstinate or quarrelsome attitude. Proverbs 29, one says, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Man, what a strong exhortation. Uh, if you can't be corrected, you're in a very dangerous zone. And, and over the course of, of my ministry experience and leadership experience, uh, both being a director of students or, or just correcting people in the church, there have been people that I have met with and I will try, I, I will always pray before I enter into these conversations where there's some sort of confrontation or correction that needs to happen. And I will try to bring as much grace and mercy in the balance of truth as I possibly can. But the reality is as soon as I start the conversation, I can literally physically see them stiffening up. Like they are not, they're not, like I won't even be able to get to what I needed to talk about. And a lot of times I won't even remember what it was that I needed to talk to them about, but I remember them stiffening up and not being willing to receive it. It's like they get like, a, like they're like a peacock. Like I ain't open to nothing. I'm just gonna strut because I got this. All right, or like a turkey. And poking their neck way out. Like, I ain't, I ain't open to this. I ain't open to this. We had a couple turkeys growing up. Well, one turkey, one died. Uh, but we were raising these turkeys because, you know, we're settlers. And we were going to raise the turkeys so that we would have a harvest of turkey at a meal. And it was just a bad idea from the get-go. Um, but we were raising these turkeys. One of them died. One of them was alive. But he had an issue. Some sort of sickness had taken over his one of his eyes and so he had lost his eye he didn't he only had one eye he was a one-eyed turkey and we called him one-eyed willie after the goonies so there's one-eyed willie and uh he was mean i don't know if he was bitter because he only had one eye i don't know what his issue was but he hated the kids and so we had him in the backyard. We had this deck. He would stay off of the deck. He would stay away from the deck. But as soon as you stepped off the deck, he would attack you. Like, he would come after you. And some of you are thinking, big deal, he's a turkey. Have you ever been attacked by a one-eyed turkey? <laughs> or even a two-eyed turkey. But especially a one-eyed turkey, it's even scarier when they're coming at you like this, you know? <laughs> It's, it's intimidating, especially when you're just an innocent child. 
And uh, so we got, my brother and I had the job of feeding the turkey. And, and I don't know why we didn't move the thing that we fed him with closer to the deck. I think it's because my parents enjoyed watching us trying to navigate across our huge backyard while we're being attacked by a one-eyed turkey. But my brother and I, we'd like, we'd like come up with strategies. Like, All right, it's your turn to run decoy. So you're going to run that way, and you're going to distract them, and you're going to get clawed a little bit, and you're going to get pecked a little bit. But it, we got to get our chore done, okay? We'd like have a whiteboard, like drawing up plays. It's like, okay, uh, here's the deal. You're going to run... All right, a hook and ladder, okay, just come around, okay. I'll throw the block, okay. And, uh, and he would just attack us and made us not want to feed him uh, at all. So the point of all that, there really isn't one. Uh, no, the point is this. Some of you are just like that turkey. You bow up and get stiff neck. And you attack the very people that are trying to bring you something that could produce life in you. The very word that you need that will bring you nourishment, that will actually provide you with the sustenance of life, you're too prideful to even allow them to bring it to you. You attack them uh, because you can't see it. You can't see it. You're missing vision for your life. So if you find yourself in arguments a lot, if you find yourself being defensive about lots of things in your life, there's a really good chance that you have an unteachable spirit. Or you like to turn the tables and make it about somebody else. Somebody tries to bring you something like, oh, but you, but you, well, that is a classic victim mentality. And when you can't take personal responsibility and own it, and you just try to flip it on other people, that's an unteachable spirit. Also, isolation and adversity. We all know the first people to do this in the history of the world. Because it's right there at the beginning of time. Who were they? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, as soon as they faced adversity, as soon as they faced being confronted for a mistake, they isolated and hid. So we know that this is intrinsic in our nature to do this. It says in Proverbs 18:1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isn't that interesting? Basically, what it's saying is when you isolate and are not open to receiving constructive criticism, confrontation, it is one of the most selfish things that you can do. He seeks his own desire. Okay, so here's the thing. We all have different personalities types, right? Okay, how many of you are extroverts? How many are extroverts? You like being out and around people? Extroverts, okay. I'd ask who the introverts are, but you won't raise your hand because you're an introvert and you don't want to do anything publicly, so I won't ask you, okay? So I'll just assume most everybody else, you tend towards being an introvert. Uh, I would be what I would classify, and some of you can relate to this, I would classify myself as a high-functioning introvert. 
Okay, because here's the thing. I can be around people. I can be around crowds, and I like it. I love it for a while. But I have what I call a social gas tank. And when I know that I'm going to go be around people, I fill that tank up. Okay? And, I mean, whether that's praying in the Spirit or, or just resting, I will get fueled up. So that when I go and I'm going to be around crowds of people like Sunday morning, I've got a full social tank. And, but some of y'all affect my gas mileage <laughs> more than others. <laughs> right? But eventually, my tank will start to empty. And when my tank starts to empty, it's not that I don't like people. I'm just going to need to go get refueled a little bit. And a true introvert will want to be alone. Like, that's how I'm going to refuel. Just give me my book. Give me my show. Give me my, I just want to be alone. That's a true introvert. And I don't even need that. I, I, don't, I don't mind being around somebody when I'm refueling as long as that somebody doesn't keep sucking gas. Like, you can't, I mean, just don't be high maintenance. So a lot of us can relate to those things. And it's okay that from time to time you've got to get alone to process things. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is some of you, as soon as you feel tension, as soon as you feel difficulty, as soon as you feel like somebody may come and try to talk to you, about something that may be difficult, you isolate and hide in a cave because you don't want to face it. And it's passive aggressive because you think it's not hurting anybody. I'm just avoiding confrontation. I'm avoiding it because <laughs> it's the scariest thing that could ever happen in my life. But the truth is you're for sure hurting yourself but you're also disconnecting yourself from effectiveness in the body of Christ. You won't be able to effectively, efficiently fulfill the role and purpose that God has fulfilled or put in you when you isolate to avoid growing, learning. You're gonna have to have somebody that can walk through the fire with you our tendency is to not reach out when we're going through difficult things, but those are the exact times that we should reach out to someone, and especially when we've messed up. The enemy is the one that convinces us to isolate when we've messed up. That'll always be the devil's plan. God says, no, confess to me, I'll forgive you. Then confess to some people so you can be healed. That's God's plan. That's why life groups, serve groups, biblical community is so important because you're gonna need some brothers or sisters in Christ that you can laugh with, cry with, learn with, go through death and go through life with. So how do you cultivate a teachable spirit? First, you gotta know the word and live it. Know the word and live it, okay? Know all of it? No, no. Just keep learning. 
keep growing. James 1.21, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Nothing has more power to change your life than this, reading the word of God and then putting it into practice. There's a qualifier there because there may be people that know a lot of the word, but when they fail to plant or to, to implement it, when they fail to actually put it into practice, there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I know people with a lot of knowledge that are still stupid because they don't apply because wisdom is knowledge applied. It's put into practice. Grace and mercy comes from God when you live like this. You don't have to know all the word of God, but when you desire to have his, his word hidden in your heart so that you may not sin against him, like David said, when it's your desire that you drive towards that, then it is amazing. There is a supernatural grace that arrests on your life. And when there's that supernatural grace on your life, there's also supernatural favor. God will bless you and hook you up in ways that you weren't expecting. And it won't make sense because what happens is when God sees you desiring to know his word, but then to also apply it, what he says is, even though you still don't know me nearly as well as I know you, I'm gonna pick up the tab even though you don't deserve it. I'm gonna hook you up. I'm gonna give you grace and I'm gonna bless things in your life because you have a desire to grow. You're open to learning and then you apply what I teach you. He will hook you up. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Man, that's such a dangerous place to be. And I know a lot of people, and I'm heavy in my heart for some people even right now who I know, know the word, know the truth, but they're not applying it. And I can see them falling into deceit. And the problem with being deceived is you don't know it. That's such a scary, dangerous place to be. Know the word and live it. Get it into my mind, my heart, my mouth, my hands, and my feet. Number two, ask wise people good questions. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So who is the wise counsel in your life? And I have to say this, being wise and teachable is not being gullible. So you don't need to just receive everything as gospel, okay? You've got to seek the right counsel from the right people. And by the way, no counsel, and I mean no counsel that does not line up with or that goes against the word of God will ever be wise counsel. I don't care how cool it sounds, how nice it sounds, how loving it sounds, if it does not line up with the word of God or it goes against the word of God, that will never be wise counsel. It's because God will not make himself a liar. He will not contradict himself. He will not contradict his character. He would not be loving to do so. Watch out for the people who will tell you what you want to hear. 
you will always find misery that loves company. You got to find people that will tell you some stuff you don't want to hear. And I don't listen to everyone about everything because people are wise in certain areas of their lives. Meaning I have people in my life that I will seek wisdom and counsel for depending on the subject because I can look at their life and say, I believe they have the moral authority and the experience and I can see the fruit that proves that they have strength in this area. So I have different people that I talk to about the word and getting counsel about that. I have other people I talk to about money because I can see they are good and wise with money. I will have other people I will talk to about relationships and raising kids. I have different people for different subjects of my life because what I typically can see is those people failed in those areas and they failed forward and they learned and now they've got a testimony and it's good for me to lean on the testimony of other people. It is a shame when we are only learning from our own mistakes. I don't know about you, I don't have the time, the money, or the energy to only learn from my mistakes. God puts people around me with a testimony so I can learn from their mistakes and they can help me get stronger in different areas of my life. And I think it's important that you ask those people good questions. Good questions. Seeking help isn't weakness. It's wisdom. Also, be open to correction. Be open to correction. We need to give people permission to call things out in our life, okay? But I wanna just go down that a little bit. What I've noticed is there are a lot of people that'll say, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. And they think as soon as they ask somebody to hold them accountable, that now they're off the hook. Like, well, I asked you to hold me accountable, you know, and you did it, and now my marriage is in trouble. Uh, now I'm broke again. Uh, now I'm drinking again. Now I'm addicted to this substance again. I, I asked you to hold me accountable. No, maturity understands that when you value accountability, you pursue accountability. It means that you go to those people and you open the door and give them permission to ask you the tough questions, but they don't chase you down all the time. Mentorship is the same way. Hey, I want you to mentor me. And then you expect that person to chase you all around the rest of your life mentoring you. No, it means you don't value mentorship yet. When you value mentorship, you pursue it. But that's just the difference between maturity and immaturity. That's the difference between being on the milk and being on the meat. But you've got to be open to it. When you're wrong, admit it, accept it, correct course, and move on. And one of the most important places you can apply this is in your home and with your family. Spouses, you need to give permission to each other to correct and then pursue it. Ask questions. Okay, so yesterday morning, uh, I think it's because we're coming to the end of the school year. Our kids are already thinking summer's here because last week of school, it's like, it's not necessarily challenging scholastically, typically speaking. So it's like their minds are already there. I'm out of school, okay? And, but they forgot, they done lost their minds, forgot, no, we still have chores. We still have responsibilities. We still have a basic responsibility of how we treat each other. So we had a family meeting. And I, and I brought everybody together and I said, okay, we're not going to do this. 
okay? Saturdays are a Sabbath. Saturdays will be a day when we rest and when we recharge and we do all that, but it doesn't mean we just gonna turn in on ourselves and think about everything we wanna do for ourselves and nothing else matters and nobody else matters. And so the way I approach this, because there was a couple members of our family, and I'll just say Cody's not one of them, just to throw that out there, but there's a couple members of our family where they continue to struggle with certain things. But they don't see that they're the common denominator. They don't want to admit that everyone in the family sees the issue. Okay? They don't want to see that. Okay? So a wise person once told me, and, and they communicated it to me in the King James Version of the language. Okay? And you'll understand what I mean when I say it. If one person calls you a donkey, King James Version, when one person calls you a donkey, sometimes you can ignore that. If two people call you a donkey, you better start paying attention. If three people call you a donkey, buy a saddle, buddy, you're a donkey. But sometimes it's hard for people to see. It's like, hey, if multiple people are seeing the same thing, you need to pay attention. Okay, so I was trying to bring that to the attention of a couple members of our family. The way I did is I said this, we're gonna sit down, we have a family meeting. What we're gonna do is we're gonna go around and we're gonna go to each person. We're gonna say one thing that we appreciate about them and one thing that they need to work on. And so the cool thing was for the most part, everybody had something unique and different that they appreciated. But there was a common theme about the thing that that person needed to work on. And guess what? I wasn't exempt. Every person in my family said something they appreciate about me and something I need to work on. And you know what I said when they told me? I received that. I received that. I can learn from that. Some of you are raising kids that are unteachable because they're not being modeled what it looks like to be teachable by their parents. One of the best places you can model being teachable is not always having to insist and stand on the authority and the title that God's given you and insist on getting down on their level, looking them in the eye and admitting when you made a mistake, showing that you can be teachable. You'll raise kids that are a lot more teachable if you can do that. So I've heard, trying to learn. Number four, be refreshed in his presence daily. Real quickly, uh, the, the, this will feel a little bit like Sunday school, but I wanna dive into this portion of scripture real quick. First Chronicles chapter 15 talks about it, but it's first, uh, the story is first mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter six. And this, in this, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the manifested presence of God existed in the Old Testament. God would manifest in different places, but for the most part, his presence was in and around and manifested through this physical representation called the Ark. And the Ark had been displaced in, the, in a people group called the Philistines, these pagan, this pagan group, but they had been defeated and they're getting ready to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. But either because they had forgotten or because their hearts had gotten hardened, they forgot that God had given them the appropriate procedure of how to move and transport the presence of God, okay? And so instead of doing that, they just, they put the ark in the back of a wagon and tried to bring it back to Jerusalem. And at one point, the wagon started to tip. The ark was starting to trip, tip out. And the guy that was driving the wagon reached out to stop the ark from falling over. God struck him dead because he was not supposed to, that wasn't the proper way for him to deal with it. 
I kind of feel bad for the dude. It's like, hey, you're driving the wagon today. Sounds great. You know, he had no idea what was going to happen to him. But at this point, they're treating the presence of God like a broken down Prius on 167. And they're missing the whole thing. And so David's like, okay, I've got to, we've got to get our hearts right and we've got to get ourselves right practically of how we're going to bring the presence of God. In the meantime, we need a place to put the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. We've got to put it with the right person in the right place and this guy named Obed-Edom, his name came up. And that's where they decided, while we are preparing to bring the presence of God, the, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem, we're going to put in this guy's house. It was there for 90 days, three months. And the word says that while it was there, everything in his home, everything in his family was blessed. He was prosperous. The presence of God was there. Okay? But what's interesting thing is that the, the story doesn't end there. Because as you look in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, starting around verse 18, you start seeing this name pop up over and over and over again, Obed-Edom. So when King David came to pick up the ark to bring it back to Jerusalem, all of a sudden you start seeing his name pop up. So one of the first places is they were needing some gatekeepers, okay? These are like door greeters at our church. We need some gatekeepers, and they, they listed a bunch of names, and I was going to read them, but I can't pronounce them, so I decided to skip over it. But Obed-Edom was in that group of names, okay? He says, I'll be a part of this. I want to come and be a part of, of greeting, of being a gatekeeper, okay? And then they needed some musicians, some people that are going to lead worship. And Obed-Edom's like, I'll do that. I'll, I want to do that. But... The gatekeeper to the worship leader was bringing him even closer to the presence of God. And then it says, hey, we need someone that can be a doorkeeper. These are the people that stood directly outside of the room where the Ark of the Covenant would be kept, like the security team. And he knew, man, that gets me even closer to the presence of God. You see, when the presence of God left his house, he could have made the decision, you know what? I've had a good time. I'm just gonna keep living on what God's presence used to do. And I'm gonna stay there. Or he can say, no, with everything I have, I'm going to pursue the presence of God and what he is doing now. And I wanna be right in the middle of it as close as I can be. That's a teachable spirit. And what difference did it make? Well, as you read in Chronicles, you read 64 descendants of Obed-Edom who were in and around the house of God. One of the strongest legacies in all of the Chronicles in the Old Testament was this family, because he said, I want to be close to the presence of God. He wanted something fresh, not living on something stale. And he passed on that teachable spirit, a desire to pursue God for generations, for generations. And the truth is you can live off of what God did yesterday or you can pursue what he's doing right now. And that's one of the greatest ways that you demonstrate a teachable spirit, a teachable heart, 
that's the desire that God has for you. That is certainly the desire that we have for you as your church. You hunger and thirst for the presence of God. And this is the key to having a teachable spirit. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Father God, I pray that even now, your spirit, through kindness and gentleness, like your word says, would bring to heart and mind areas that even either we were unaware of, maybe even deceived in, or even areas that we are aware of that we've been prideful about. Lord, would you bring those things to heart and mind right now? Lord, we bring them before you. Right there in your chair, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you. And if you want to, you can put them out in front of you, but put them in a fist first. And then I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit right there between you and God, say, God, what is it? Is it relational? Is it financial? Is it a character issue? A habitual sin? An addiction? What is it? And as the Holy Spirit brings that to your heart and mind as a physical sign and symbol when you are truly ready and ready to commit that you're going to be open, you're going to be teachable, you're going to confess if you need to confess, you're going to seek wisdom, you're going to be open to correction. When you're open, then you just open your hands before the Lord and you release it. You just say, God, I'm going to help me. Help me even today, even as soon as the service is over. I want to put into practice what it looks like to be truly teachable. Because God, I want to be close to you. I want to hear your voice clearly for the rest of my life. I don't want anything to stand in the way of that. And for some of you, the thing that is standing the way of you hearing his voice, you sensing and feeling his presence as you just have never truly surrendered to him. You don't have relationship with him. And the only way that you have a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus. If you've never come to that place where you're able to confess, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, I need a savior. And you come to that place where you say, I, I, I I do. I ask for forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You rose from the grave. You paid the price so I can be close to you and have relationship with you and have the hope of heaven. And if you've never done that in a genuine way, not religious acts, not religious routine, not just going to church, not trying to be a good person, but surrendering your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that, and you, you'll know because his presence is pulling on your heart right now. Stop being stubborn. Some of you, you stiffen up around the presence of God. Maybe it's because you were church hurt. Maybe it was because somebody did you wrong. You were offended. Maybe it was, it's because you don't want to surrender your intellect and simply have childlike faith. I don't know what it is. But today is the day of your salvation if you open yourself to it. And if you're here and you're willing to admit it, 
as a physical sign of you humbling yourself and saying, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to put your hand up right now. And as soon as we make eye contact, you can put your hand down, but you say, Pastor James, that's me. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. I need him right now. Okay. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace. I thank you for every person that raised their hand and anybody who didn't that knows they should have. God, I I thank you. You see the position of their heart. And I pray, God, that where there is that humility, where is that longing and desire that you are faithful to meet with them. And if you need to, you just say this. You say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness right now. I believe you rose from the grave. You defeated my sin. You defeated death so that I can live a life and life to the full, so that I can have the hope of heaven. But I wanna fulfill my purpose in you now. So I make you Lord. I choose that you call the shots. Father, I thank you for every person that just did that. God, if we're going to be fully devoted followers of you, if we're going to be people that can call ourselves Christians, Christ-like, we're going to be a people that call ourselves disciples, we know we have to be teachable. We have to be humble. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace, your faithfulness to cultivate the soil of our hearts, to help us to see where we've hardened so we don't miss anything. We know you love us. We know your best is the best. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.